Thank you, Adam, and thank you to the band. Full quota today on the band it was great to see. And uh, a welcome to everybody here. There's a few faces I see that uh, haven't been around for a while, so it's lovely to have you. And uh, a big welcome to folks who are joining us uh, online uh, too. For the last uh, two weeks, we've been uh, introduced to uh, Joseph, the son of Jacob, brother to at least 10 jealous uh, siblings, a dreamer uh, and an interpreter of dreams. We've seen how this young man of integrity had been first rejected uh, by his brothers. Uh, he had been sold into slavery. He had been forced to work in a foreign land. He'd been falsely accused of sexual assault and without the hint of a fair hearing had been imprisoned. Could things get any worse? Last week, we discovered a glimmer of hope, a possible escape to escape, uh, a, a possible chance to escape prison life. But incredibly, there was yet another sad twist in this story. And when we look at the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 41, the, the chapter that we're looking at today, we see two whole years uh, had passed and uh, still Joseph was behind bars. Nothing had changed. But today's message is not all doom and gloom. We see that God had been working in him for a reason. God wanted him to be fit for purpose. God was going to take him from the prison to the palace. Today we'll see the tremendous turnaround. His exaltation had finally come. At the age of 30, Joseph would, would become the second most powerful person in the greatest nation in the world at that time. And crucially, we'll see that God's plan to ensure his promises and his grand salvation plan were saved from destruction. I wonder if you've uh, had to practice hard for a big performance. Maybe you've had a part in a play or you're taking a professional qualification um, or you're into sport and there's a big match ahead. Um, as you can see from my physique, I'm not really into a gym membership. Um, but for those who are into bulking up and getting strong, uh, you'll know that the way to build muscle strength is by making your muscles work against a force or a weight. So you'll use weights, you'll use resistance bands, you'll even use uh, your own body weight. The training is hard, it's unpleasant, it's painful. That's maybe why I don't go to the gym. Uh, but at the end of it, your body will be stronger, more flexible, and you'll probably be more healthier as a result. A boxer uh, will often go uh, on a 12-week training camp, often at high altitude or at a hot temperature, so that when they finally get into the ring for a title fight, they're at the top of their game, prepared and ready to fight. God often uses spiritual weight rooms to help us to be better versions of ourselves, not so much biceps and calf muscles, but more about character and virtue and attitudes. And not surprisingly, God will often use hardship and setbacks, injustice, pain, and rejection to help us grow our spiritual muscles. And to be clear, uh, this period in your life when you're preparing is not you training to be a Christian 
and to become one when you're ready. We're assuming here that you are a Christian, just like a boxer when he goes in a training camp is still a boxer. And when we look at Joseph's life, uh, that linear pattern uh, of going from training into uh, the real thing, that isn't necessarily the pattern for us. It's just a, a good way for us to look at how God uses us and prepares us for His service. And so, as we consider Joseph in this chapter, we're going to remind ourselves of the training camp that God put him through. And then secondly, we will see Joseph step into the ring, as it were, and take on the role that God had planned for him all along. Later in his life, when Joseph named his two children, the meaning of these names suggests that Joseph saw his life in two parts, um, before interpreting Pharaoh's dreams and immediately after, a time of hardship and a fruitful time, a time of training and a time in the spotlight. So let's, uh, let's dive into this chapter, chapter 41. Keep your, your Bible open and your app on. Uh, we'll read uh, most of the 57 uh, verses uh, in big chunks. So starting at verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing in one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Joseph. Verse 1 tells us that Joseph was in prison for these further two years. God had used him to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. Joseph had revealed the dreams, and indeed, uh, he said that the cupbearer would be saved, and that's what happened. But before Pharaoh's trusted servant leaves prison, Joseph asks him to remember him to Pharaoh when he finally gets to see him. But of course, he forgets. For two whole years, he forgets. Did God plan it that way? I believe he did and we'll see why later, but I also think that God used this time to continue shaping and molding Joseph to be fit for the task that was ahead of him. One of the greatest virtues that a Christian needs, but a, a virtue that most of us lack to some degree, is patience. That capacity to maintain your emotional and spiritual equilibrium when things are happening to you and around you that make you feel uncomfortable, pressures, trials, hopes dashed, expectations not met, and in, the, and in the midst of them, having the ability to remain calm and stable and content. Often we find a, a workaround to our discomfort, but there are times in our lives when nothing or nobody can help you. And all we, can, all we can do 
is weight. It doesn't matter how you try to solve it, it's still there. Days and weeks, and maybe uh, the same uh, was true for Joseph, years pass and it's still there. We pray about it, nothing seems to happen. We simply need patience. We need to learn to wait for God. This was one of the greatest virtues that God was developing in Joseph. And you know, there's no easy way to learn this quality. It comes with discomfort. It takes time. Joseph stands out from many of his relatives when it comes to waiting and allowing for God to work in his time. Just an example of a few. You know, in the Bible, there are lots of good examples, and there are plenty of warnings too. People that can help us to model our behavior, and others who we would do well to avoid making their same mistakes. Christ, of course, is our ultimate perfect example. But think about Eve. She She couldn't wait to be like God, knowing good and evil. God said, don't touch it but she couldn't wait to find what it was all about. And then there was Abraham's wife, Sarah, which was Joseph's great-grandmother. She couldn't wait on God to fulfill the promise he had made to her husband, and so she got her husband to sleep with another woman to provide her son, to, rev- to provide a son. Joseph's mother, Rachel, did exactly the same thing. Another one of um, Joseph's dis- distant relatives was Lot. Um, he wasn't exactly a good role model either. Noah, on the other hand, was a, was a good one. Uh, he gave uh, Joseph a good example in patience. He patiently built the ark, and then he and his wee family uh, waited for the waters to recede. And there are others that we can learn, uh, in the, others in the Bible that we can learn from. Think about uh, Job. Uh, and then I love the, the story of Simeon in Jesus' time. An angel had revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the birth of the Messiah. We don't know for how long Simeon actually waited for this birth, but what expectation there must have been in his patient waiting. And for us, waiting goes against everything that we experience these days. Instant remedies, 24-hour hotlines, Gone are the days when you had to wait to go to the bank to see how much money you had or to wait for a statement to come in at the end of three months or a month. We have now got instant access. Society exists on all these things. And so learning to be patient is especially hard in this environment. But we've got to be careful that we don't, uh, that, that we fail, if we fail to be patient, like many others before us, if we step out of God's will uh, and miss God's best for our lives, then that isn't the greatest, the greatest course of action. Maybe today you need to be reminded to wait on the Lord. Or can I gently encourage you to keep on going if you're waiting for God to fulfill His promises? Maybe there's something you want or somebody, something you want to be, and it's simply not happening. Or maybe you're frustrated about your current circumstances and are fed up waiting. God says, leave the future to me. Wait on me for now. Maybe these things will help you as you uh, think about these things. Think about how patient God has been uh, with you and continues to be with you. How he never gives up on us and how in the grand scale He is waiting patiently to judge the world, allowing time for people to come to him for salvation. 
And then even if it seems that things aren't happening, progress is stalled, or you're just stuck, have faith that God has a plan and that he's already working on it. You might not see it yet, but you will. And let's not waste time waiting. Let's use this time to continue serving him and preparing yourself for what's ahead. Why bury your heads in the sand when you could be active, you could be mounting on wings like eagles or running or even just putting one foot in front of the other? And finally, count your blessings. Think about God's goodness to you and the many things that you can be thankful for. Now, patience uh, wasn't the only thing uh, that God was training in Joseph. In the days before his promotion, God wanted him to be trustworthy. We saw how he did that in Potiphar's house. And God was also training him not to be bitter uh, or angry at injustice or unfairness, preparing him for the big role of forgiveness that that he had in the years ahead not to moan uh, or complain about our circumstances. All the experiences from the Joseph at 17 to the Joseph at 30 contributed to the depth of character that Joseph would need to to, uh, cope with the high responsibility of running the country. In his teenage years and into his 20s, Joseph chose to be consistently obedient and to be a man of integrity. Those were tough lessons learnt at the boot camp, not at some cozy Christian spa. Maybe, young Christian today, you need a gentle encouragement to stick to the path of holiness consistently in private and in public and trusting God to fulfill His promises in you. Maybe baptism is the next step in your uh, obedience to the Lord to identify with him. Someone once said, a God who is asking nothing of us is making nothing of us. For Joseph, nothing happened to him that was in vain. The writer to the Hebrews said in chapter 12, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. C.S. Lewis said, I can't go without a talk uh, in church without mentioning C.S. Lewis once, but anyway, um, he said, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of man. If we yield to this process of building our spiritual muscles, God will make us into something more and more like his son, and it'll all be worth it. And throughout this time, we can be assured, just like in the story of Joseph, that the Lord will be with us. That promise is recorded four times since Joseph had come to Egypt. Okay, so let's go back to uh, these dreams of Pharaoh and see how Joseph performs after all that training. So, Joseph had uh, two dreams, uh, but really just the same one twice. This emphasizes their importance And the dreams speak to the heart of life in Egypt at that time, crops and livestock and agriculture and food. You know, can you picture it? This North African country has virtually no rainfall. It relies on the River Nile to sustain life, providing fertile crops, fertile soil for crops and lush meadows for cattle. 
the, the ancient Egyptian uh, civilization in all its stages considered the River Nile the symbol of life for their country. The long line of pharaohs knew that their, sur their own survival was intricately linked to the water that flowed through that river. The pharaohs were almost regarded like godlike guardians of the Nile. So this is a very Egyptian dream, and it greatly uh, troubled Pharaoh. He would have known for sure that this was a message for him from somebody that he needed to take uh, under his attention. Dreams were definitely a thing in Bible times. God used them uh, to give a specific message or instruction. So why shouldn't we pay particular attention to our dreams? Uh, I can't even remember my dreams when I wake up in the morning. Uh, but does God still speak in dreams? Well, He certainly does, especially in parts of the world unreached by the gospel. And I would never limit the power of God to work in these miraculous ways. But we don't live in ancient times, in the formative years uh, of God's plans for this kingdom. We have the Bible. His words are written down for us we have eyewitness accounts of the life and works of Jesus. And so, we root ourselves in the Word of God, God's message to us. And if anyone thinks that, they, that, that, that the Lord has spoken to them in a dream or a vision, we should test it against the truths of the Bible. So, Pharaoh has these weird dreams, and understandably, he's troubled. He wants to know what they mean. And it seems that there's a whole industry built around this thing, all the magicians and the wise men are called upon, and, and though they might be well-educated, they haven't a clue. And maybe if Joseph had got out of prison at the time of the cupbearer's release two years previous, he wouldn't have been around at this time. But in God's timing, when Pharaoh was at the end of his tether, the cupbearer remembered Joseph, the young Hebrew from prison. Let's just read those verses, verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Joseph is brought out of prison and out of respect to the king, he has a shave and gets out of his prisoner boiler, boiler suit, as it were, and then Pharaoh acknowledges Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. But don't you love verse 16? Joseph says, it's not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. He didn't say, yep, I'm your man, you've come uh, to the right guy. No, look at the humility uh, of um, Joseph. He turns to Pharaoh and says, it's not in me, a response dripping with integrity. He could have said, okay, let's cut the deal. I'll tell you the meaning of the dreams in return for my freedom. But no, he simply gives God the credit. The honor is due to the Lord of hosts. And here's one of the first examples we see of how Joseph's boot camp training had paid off. Joseph's first concern was to give the glory to God. It's not about me. It's not about what I can get out of it. What humility. How I wish that I could be like Joseph or like Job who said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. My car won't start. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm at risk of redundancy. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I have to flee my country because of war. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That takes courage and faith and humility. But God says, those who honor me, I will honor. The greatest thing that we can know, the greatest thing that we can have is to know God and to serve him. Everything else comes after. Don't you think that Joseph understood that? So Joseph tells him his dreams uh, in verses 17 to 24, and then Joseph in verse 25 gives the credit to God again. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean years, sorry, the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. There he goes again, Joseph acknowledging God's role in this. And then verse 29, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So Joseph explained the dream and now he quite boldly offers Pharaoh some advice. He doesn't put himself forward. He doesn't offer his services. Again, there's no deal being brokered. Joseph wisely recommends that, it, that Pharaoh put someone in charge to oversee the collection of grain in the good years as a reserve for the years of famine. And look at Pharaoh's reaction in verses 37 to 39. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none no, so discerning and wise as you are. And here we get to see Joseph's exaltation from the pit and the prison to the palace. Joseph is going to move from being the last in his family, the hated one, and he's going to be put in charge of Egypt. Verse 40, you shall be over my house, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set, the, set him over all the land of Egypt. What a position Joseph finds himself in. He gets to ride in Pharaoh's second chariot. Air Force Two is commissioned for him. He has political power. 
He has royal privileges, social prestige, financial authority. He even gets a new Egyptian name and gets married to Asenath. Pharaoh was no fool. He obviously saw the religious or the, the administrative genius that was in front of him. Isn't it amazing that a pagan king saw enough in Joseph to say, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Joseph had been faithful with a few things, and God gave him more. Jesus identified that same approach when he said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. Joseph, filled with the Spirit of God, faithfully and without complaint, did what was presented in front of him. He didn't let pride take over. He didn't get the run of himself. No matter what, it ta what the task was, it seems to me that Joseph was up for it. He wanted to serve the Lord in whatever role he was given. Just like uh, Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. I'll be a slave if you want me to be that, Lord. I'll be in prison if that's where you want me to be. I'll serve in the government if there's something to be done there in your name. Are we ready to be God's man or woman today, to do whatever God asks us to do, to go wherever He asks us to go? My reaction could easily be, well, the palace would be great, but I'm not so uh, keen on the prison. And while Joseph is a, a wonderful example, doesn't he also point us to Jesus, who made himself nothing and took the form of a servant? I wonder, is there any value in you asking this every morning? How are you going to use me today, Lord? What can I do to honor you this week? Or I love this question. Lord, what do you want to take away and what do you want to add today? When God is in control, as he was in Joseph's life, then he will use you, and he'll use you in all sorts of places and situations. Now, let's, uh, let's complete the chapter from verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until, it ceased, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship on all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph has said, there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. 
what he tells you to do, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to buy Joseph, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the earth. Wouldn't it have been um, fascinating to see how the governance of Egypt operated uh, under Joseph? There were seven years of gathering, a gigantic storehouse operation. And just in case there were any doubts about the God of the Hebrews, after the seven years of plenty, the famine did indeed come. The prediction came true, and God's prophecy was fulfilled. The evidence of prophecy plays an important role for us as Christians today. Evidence um, shows the authenticity of Scripture and provides proof. We can point to the fulfillment of hundreds of predictions in the Old Testament about the Lord Jesus. And then came the seven years of distribution, uh, which lay squarely on uh, Joseph's shoulders, not only sharing it out amongst the people of Egypt, but also those who came uh, from other countries. But before we finish, I'd just like to suggest uh, there's another little insight uh, from Joseph uh, during these years. It comes uh, in the naming of his children. Joseph hadn't forgotten the God of his youth. The two boys were given Egyptian names, Manasseh and Ephraim. Despite being saturated into Egyptian society, he remained true. Joseph was faithful. He witnessed to the goodness of God. He trusted that God was right. He knew that God's wisdom, God's truth trumped earthly wisdom. He knew that God was powerful and he was faithful because God was faithful. I think there's something in the life of Joseph that we should remember here. When the success comes, when all the parts of the puzzle fall into place, as Van Morrison would say, don't forget the Lord in the good times. Don't think for one moment that you know better than God just because you've been successful in life. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That's my prayer for you young people and the not so young. So whether now you're climbing the mountain and the going is tough, or whether you're loving being at the pinnacle with the great views and sense of achievement, do the right thing. Be full of grace and give God all the glory. So that's chapter 41, most of the 57 verses. Um, and we've completed this next installment in Joseph's life. We've seen how Joseph, while he probably had his moments, uh, he stretched his faith. He chose the Lord in all circumstances, and God used him to fulfill his purposes and his promises, promises that would save uh, the family line from Adam and Abraham right through uh, to Jesus by rescuing Joseph's family from famine in Canaan. Uh, more on that uh, next week. But for now, let's uh, close in prayer, and then I'll hand back to Adam. Let's pray. Father, we love your word, 
and we love what is contained within it because it speaks volumes uh, of what you are like. It speaks of your faithfulness. It speaks of your perfect uh, purposes. It speaks uh, of your promises. Uh, and Lord, we have got to see uh, this morning a little of Joseph's life and how you um, worked in him and how you were steadfast and faithful to him. And in return, Lord, thank you for the example that Joseph gives to us. Lord, we realize that uh, our circumstances here this morning are all uh, very different. Some of us are going through difficult times, a time of drought, a time when we would wish we weren't uh, in this position. And others are going through good times uh, when there is joy and there is happiness. And Lord, we thank you that in both of these circumstances, uh, you are incredibly faithful to us and you never uh, give up on us. You want to work in us and through us. And so I pray for each of my brothers and sisters today that we would hold true uh, to the faith, that we would be patient, that we would have uh, humility, and that we would be faithful uh, in uh, trusting you in our lives. So thank you for our time together, Lord. Bless your word, and bless uh, the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.